Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Liz Loza and we've got Andy Barons here today. Andy. It is the middle of July. What is up? How are you? <laughs> How are you holding it down? I'm, I don't know. I'm good. I'm hanging in there. Uh, I am doing as well as one can do during a, during a plague. Uh, yeah, things are, things are, the NFL is kind of sort of advancing. I'm drafting baseball and football leagues at the same time, which is super weird. Um, but things are as well as can be expected. So obviously, this is the Fantasy Football Podcast. We're going to talk about football. And quick reminder, you can sign up for Fantasy Football Leagues right now over at Yahoo Sports. And if you were shook by the maintenance announcement regarding best ball yesterday, don't be. Best ball is still alive and well. We're just doing some tweaks. The very savvy engineers are making sure the product is streamlined and even more perfect for your drafting pleasure. So before, though, I should say that my friend Andy here is a multi-hyphenate fantasy expert in that <laughs> he does basketball and football and baseball very quickly Andy before we jump into the NFLness of it all talk to me about your thoughts on a this bubble as a season ticket holder for the Chicago Bulls and b as a an MLB contributor is this gonna work like I know there's two very separate issues I also side note as someone who's just an observer, Giannis is looking the best of everybody. No complaints. <laughs> this is better than Greece. LFG. Yeah. Um, we actually, when, when in talking to uh, Dr. Horner and Dr. Edwards uh, a couple weeks ago for this podcast, like they, they seemed fairly impressed with the NBA's bubble. Like it's probably as, as locked down as anything can possibly be in, in this environment and in that state at this exact moment. Right. Um, but there's still all kinds of crazy variables. I mean, um, people within the NBA bubble are getting called out for exiting the NBA bubble and violating the terms of the NBA bubble. And it's, you know, obviously it's a, obviously it's a danger. Um, my, my God, I hope that works out because if the NBA works out, um, we can feel pretty good about the relaunch of almost everything. Um, I don't know about college sports. I don't know how I would feel about college sports. Um, they certainly don't seem like they're trending in the right direction across the southeast right now which right. you know hotbed of college sports um but I, I as the parent of a college athlete i i definitely hope they come back um baseball is baseball is crazy because not only do we have this unique set of circumstances we have like i, I don't know the 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 length of the baseball season is as if we were going to settle the nfl in like 
four and a half weeks or something like that. I mean, it's, it's crazy. as long as baseball should be, frankly. <laughs> well, you agree with the owners. Um, yeah. The owners uh, want want no part I'm of just a, this a, issue for the record. <laughs> <laughs> they want no part of a of an MLB regular season. They just want to skip to the playoffs, which honestly, um, the NBA probably should have done that. Right. Like the I don't know. My own opinion is that the NBA should have just said, OK, we're not going to we're not even going to mess around with the possibility that the Lakers aren't among the final four or whatever that the Bucks that we want the best teams. Let's just let's just have the final eight teams and go. Let's let's go right into the playoffs. I wish they would have done that. Baseball seems to kind of want to do that, but you got to have a regular season. Um, it's it's total madness because anything could happen over 60 games. So that's kind of fun. It makes the fantasy season kind of fun. It makes it a sprint. There's all sorts of reasons to actually like get engaged by the game. It's going to play a lot like fantasy football, which I think is kind of fun. But um, some, I mean, there's just going to be some crazy shit that happens. Somebody could hit 420. Um, somebody, somebody could hit w- way beyond 400. Um, pe- people are going to put up stupid numbers that can happen in small samples in baseball that would never happen over a regular season. It's kind of fun. I mean, in the times of COVID, lots of people are hitting 420. So that <laughs> should not, wow, should not come up. as a surprise. I see that up really well. Well done. Very well <laughs> you, done. You set me up. All right. So one of the distractions that we have while we wait to see if the NBA and the MLB experiments are working out better, certainly than the MLS experience or experiment, um, is the wonderful Scott Fishbowl. Now, Andy, I know you're a participant in it. I am as well. Should we explain to the people who may not be familiar with the Scott Fishbowl what exactly it is and why it is so, not so big just in terms of number of humans involved, but so big in terms of fantasy football events per year? Yeah, well, it's purely, you know, it supports Fantasy Cares is probably where we should start. So it has a a, a charitable impulse behind it. Everybody supports the cause. It is a huge, sprawling league. Like you're you're in a league that's only 12 players. Right. But that's within the the context of like a 1400 person mega league. Um, Mm -hmm. And it all comes down to one winner. So, like, you know, winning this thing takes extreme luck, extraordinary drafting. It's not like there's no trading in this thing. Um, you draft really deep rosters. The scoring, in my opinion, is outstanding. Like, I love it. It's it's not just a super flex league, but Scott awards points for first downs, which I'm a big proponent of as opposed to receptions. He does throw in like a half point per reception. It's kind of it's a bit, little bit of a tight end premium in this thing. The scoring is fun, but it's not directly applicable to everybody's league. Right. So like it gets everybody wants to share their rosters on right. Twitter and like they don't apply in any way to your league, because in your league, you're definitely not taking Blake Jarwin in like round eight or something like that. But there's a tight end premium here, you know, and that just happens. And it's super flex. And every year, Scott Fish, who is the creator of it, I believe I think I was in the first year it started. Um, and then the second year, Scott and I are our firstborn children came to the planet around the same time. So remember, I was like, I can't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this thing. Like I have a one month or I don't even think my son was a (laughs) month old at the time. He's like two weeks old. And I was like, okay, let's go. Um, But every year he tweaks the scoring system. So it's not even like you can apply what you learned the year prior to the following this year in particular, there are negative points for interceptions and sacks, but at a higher rate than one would normally deal with such a thing. So you basically want a mobile quarterback who is ultra accurate. Um, And after Patrick Mahomes, there's some debate as to how soon to take that quarterback. And also since it's super flex, you can't really just sit and wait 
on the quarterback position, regardless of the depth. I mean, the fun thing about the depth is that, you know, you could end up with your QB2 being Matt Stafford, but you still have to be aggressive. And then on what other position? Oh, it's also yeah. start wi- three wide receiver. You have to start three wide receivers. So you can't just wait until round seven. I mean, you could, and some people have done that to take a wide receiver. I waited till round five. Um, what? So who is your, where did you pick from? Who was your first pick? What was your, because you're done drafting. I'm still drafting. I'm in round 21 right now. Actually, with the third pick of the 21st round of this draft, I selected with great pride and enthusiasm, Devin Funches. Boom. Oh, man. He didn't, I don't think he went that late in, uh, in my league. I had him in the, I had him in the queue. Um, for, I, I should have also mentioned the, the quarterback scoring in this thing because there's deductions for incompletions, which I really love. Like, I think that the, the end result of the quarterback scoring that he instituted is gonna, is gonna give us what we should always have in fantasy leagues, which is a, which is just a huge divide between the truly elite quarterbacks mm-hmm. and the guys who, you know, they they roll up like big yardage totals because they're because they're chuckers and their teams fall behind and they finish the year at like 59, 60 percent and they kind of Blake Bortles their way to a good fantasy year. But those aren't elite quarterbacks that like really impact winning in the NFL. And I and I think this league, you're going to find huge gaps between like the number one quarterback and the number 12 quarterback, which isn't necessarily something that we normally find. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that. I picked uh, I picked fourth in my draft. And I this year for the first time we do this thing on my fantasy league this year for the first time. I used no clock on my picks. I had everything pre-drafted. I had everything queued. It, like, it doesn't mean that I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about it, right? Because, like, build. what the hell else are you going to do? Like, what is time right now? All I did was <laughs> queue players in different rounds. Like, I spent an enormous amount of time on this thing, but I had everything pre-drafted. So I didn't, you know, I didn't waste anybody's time uh, mid-draft. And I had, I had Lamar Jackson fourth in this thing, and, and that's where I got him. So I had, I had Mahomes just a hair ahead of him. Um, I would have taken either McCaffrey or or Saquon, they didn't fall. I generally in a super flex league and certainly in this format, I want, um, I want two quarterbacks in the first, I probably realistically, I want them in the first four picks. I would settle for them in the first five picks, but, uh, but I thought Lamar was a Lamar, I believe would have been the highest scorer in this format last year. That's not really a surprise. It was a historic season. Uh, but his combination, obviously of rushing upside, which is, you know, even if he runs a little less this year, that's comfortably a thousand yards and, uh, the gains he made as a passer, I think he's pretty obviously, if not the number one, he's certainly the number two. So it's interesting you said that, um, because we also were on the Yahoo fantasy football team previews and we both did the Baltimore Ravens. And one of the questions was about Lamar possibly suffering some sort of rushing regression. And I think we both said like, sure probably but who cares he's still the one or two um the real question is whether he will regress stay static or improve as a passer and I made the point I didn't read what you wrote finally I think I might have entered mine a little bit either before or shortly after you um if Miles Boykin comes around if Marquise Brown stays healthy if J.K. Dobbins gets on the field, like then he has some more weapons. And even if his passing regresses in terms of efficiency, his production with those um, pass catchers at his disposal should stay static, right? Like you can still be productive even if you're not as efficient in a regular scoring league. That said, in the Scott Fishbowl, I drafted third and took Dak Prescott ahead of 
uh, Lamar Jackson. Oh, wow. I like. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to argue with the weapons that Dak has versus the weapons that Lamar has. Um, and Dak, of course, is also somebody who gives you a little bit of rushing upside. Like every, I think, first three years of his career, it was six rushing touchdowns, right? He's part of their goal line plan. Um, I think easily Lamar, even if he gives away some rushing yards, um, he he could have run for 10 touchdowns last year. He could have run for 12 yeah. touchdowns. Like, it's not going to shock me if he runs for 300 fewer yards and um, four more touchdowns, right? Like, it's totally in play for him to rush for 10, 11 touchdowns. The, the passing touchdowns were so, like, his touchdown rate as a passer last year is just not something that is even close to anything anyone has ever sustained. Forget about it. Like, that rate is is virtually impossible over multiple seasons, but um, he could throw more. He gets a year of development for all of those weapons. All of them are really young. Everybody except like Snead is a really young player, right? And um, they drafted his replacement, basically Devin uh, right. Duvernay, is going to be his uh, replacement heading into next year. As great as Andrews was last year, he wasn't healthy for a game, right? He was hobbling the entire season. Um, I. Yeah, I'm I'm obviously everybody should be excited about that team. But I think I think Lamar can get pretty close to the same sort of end fantasy total just through a slightly different route. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I do think it's interesting in the scoring format. I did take Dak because I let the narrative of Lamar's potential inaccuracies filter into my brain, knowing also that without Garrett at the helm, even though McCarthy feels like a little bit of a carbon copy, we'll see if this like year (laughs) of following fish or the dead or whatever the hell he's been doing has really like (laughs) changed him. Do people follow the dead anymore? Is that something you could, cause isn't the guy who was the lead singer dead? I feel, I feel like they follow fish, right? People follow fish. I never, I never followed either one of these. I mean, I saw the dead back in the day. I had a what I remember of it was joyous, um, but I but I never followed him. Uh, but you remember something. So I'm not which is I'm probably not your better. resident expert. Yeah. Um, interesting. I also feel like the Dallas via their draft is clearly showing Dak a commitment to the pass. Um, and we saw some yeah, of that happening, sure. and with Garrett's exit, maybe. But anyway, I think either the point is we both took quarterbacks. Um, I got a little bit of heat for not taking Barkley. CMC went number one. Uh, Mahomes went number two. And then I at three took Prescott, which was people. Uh, but I, I was here for it. I didn't care. I wanted the other thing about this draft that I think is important for any draft is that like do whatever you want to do, because at the end of the day, especially in a season like this, and we've talked about this numerous times, you are going to be working the waiver wire at a much higher rate than you ever have before yeah. in all likelihood. So just draft now because who knows how long this is going to stay what was your what was the pick also there's like 1400 teams in this so like that's the other thing yes winning it is almost out the window it's such a like it's such a low probability thing just get the guys you love get the guy like with every pick you should be thinking hey who can who can be a dark horse mvp candidate here who could like if everything goes right for this guy who can really pop i totally with you I like to say that the scott fishbowl is the fantasy football equivalent of an escape room (laughs) <laughs> and at the beginning of it, I'm very excited. I'm like, I have got, I am so smart. I've got this. And by like, you know, minute 29 of an escape room, I'm just pulling candlesticks off the wall being like, let me out. I don't know. I give up. Fine. <laughs> um, that's kind of how it feels. All right. But I want to know what was the pick you most agonized over? Give me one other pick that either like when you were making your cue, you spent a significant amount of time moving those players in and out of alignment and, and ranking. 
Um, you, you know what? I whiffed on. I'm I'm perfectly happy with the tight ends that I ended up with. They're Hayden Hurst, Blake Jarwin, um, and then I and then I kept collecting them toward the end because again, there's a tight end premium here. So I have Ian Thomas. I have Kyle Rudolph. Fine, it's a fine group. Um, I knew I wasn't going to get Kelsey or Kittle because in this scoring system, they just weren't coming back to me in the second round. They go really early. Um, Kelsey, I think went a couple picks after I took Lamar. He might have gone sixth overall, seventh overall, something like that. Like it's. Um, it's a significant bump for receptions for tight ends in this league. And it, mm-hmm. it's just, they're, they're great. So they weren't going to come back to me. And I just kept missing. Like I felt fine about all the early, um, you know, maybe my first six or seven picks. I think I probably got Hurst in like round eight or something like that. Um, and I feel good about him, right? He's in Atlanta. And, and of course, Hooper caught a zillion passes in Atlanta last year. And there's a little, there's at least as much rapport as we could possibly expect in this offseason between Ryan and, and Hurst right now. So I feel fine about it. Um, I, 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 w- I really wanted Andrews to pair with uh, Jackson. I thought that would have been really fun. So I just I just whiffed on that. I just I, I didn't take him in round two on the way back. And I think he got scooped up at the turn. My my um team also started to turn around the ninth round and it was Hayden Hurst that I made a decision. He was the first tight end that I took as well for all of the reasons you just noted. It was there, though, that I was like, well, maybe I should take another quarterback. I already had two quarterbacks, but I was thinking about for depth reasons, taking a third. And I really wanted to, uh, my quarterbacks are, as I mentioned, Dak Prescott. And then I got Baker Mayfield in the seventh. Um, let's hope he doesn't give in the scoring system, throw the same number of interceptions <laughs> as he threw last year, but I'm going to remember his college tape and remember his accuracy and think that yeah. there is a, a, a rebound situation in play. And I also think like for, not for, for what it's worth, like with Stefanski, you could tell towards the end of the year when, um, the offense was focused on the run and getting Nick Chubb going that helped settle Baker Mayfield down. So I think with Stefanski and knowing his run scheming prowess, we'll see an extension of that, which I'm hoping will help el- eliminate, at least in some regard, the turnovers for, for Mayfield. So in round nine, I took Hayden Hurst, but it was there that I really wanted. And again, in this scoring format, I feel like a boost is given to Derek Carr. And I was like, maybe I can get him in the 10th. I think I'm going to get him in the 10th. And then did not get him um, like all of the picks that I wanted. Then I was like, all right, well, maybe I'll get Michael Gallup. He was next in my queue. That didn't happen. And then I was like, all right, Gardner Minshew, maybe I'll get him as my QB through. That didn't happen. So I got to the 10th <laughs> round and I was like, well, at this point, I'm not going to take any of these quarterbacks that are available. So I took Jordan Howard as like a steady floor play just to add depth to the position. He's been a, a like a lower round um, floor player that I've been taking. And then I ended up because I have Terry McLaurin stacking Dwayne Haskins two rounds later as my QB three, but it also happened the the, the decision on tight end is what kind of threw everything out else out of whack. I felt well, good it's until just, then. It's just particularly important this season um, in which we're not going to have like just all the normal, we have all the normal injuries that we get in an NFL season, possibly more um, mm-hmm. because of the weird layoff. And then we get a pandemic on top of that, right? So we're going to have a bunch of missed games due to the virus. Um, it, it's just like you got you got to have like at least three quarterbacks. You probably got to have four quarterbacks in this league because um, otherwise you're going to spend all of your fob on um, really sketchy like two week starters. Did you say fob? We're going to spend all of your fob. How not? Should I say fab. Fab is what <laughs> yeah. I would say. Fab. My fab budget. Yes. <laughs> I just feel. I feel too 
it feels like too much of a of a Chicago accent if I say so fan, banal say of fun. you. <laughs> Let's bring it back to the Midwest because, damn it, Andy, you are a Midwester, and so am I. I still say pop. We neither of us, however, root for the Lions, but you did just write a very interesting article about their rookie running back DeAndre Swift, who was ranked by many scouts, our own um, Eric Edholm being one of them as the best running back, best overall running back um, in this year's draft. So why do you think that he is the answer that this franchise has been looking for since, oh, say, Barry Sanders? Yeah, it's it's funny. I the the mostly the reason to write that thing was just I don't I don't fully understand the gap between um, Edwards Hilaire and Taylor and DeAndre Swift because it's like multiple rounds. Um, and, and I think Swift is in almost as good a situation, certainly as good a situation as Taylor, because we know just looking at the backfield options in Detroit right now, Swift is the is the clear um, favorite to lead that backfield in receptions. I think like there's no there's almost no chance anybody else is going to get that role. Like he was a he was a wonderful receiver in college. They lined him up everywhere. Only one drop in a in a three year collegiate career. Um, Seventy plus receptions, and I think averaged over nine yards per catch too. Like was just a wonderfully productive player. No no holes in his game as a rusher whatsoever. Um, his I will also say that his his tape against Alabama two years ago, the SEC title game, was along with um, a couple games from Edwards Hilaire, where the were absolutely my favorite things that I watched of any prospect um, coming into this year's draft, right? So, like, I think super highly of him. Obviously, Ed Holm thinks super highly of him. And I just think he's in a spot where th- there's almost no chance that he's not getting 50% of that workload pretty soon. Um, and nearly all of the backfield receptions uh, really, really soon. Carry on Johnson, a nice player when he's on the field. He's had a couple of significant knee injuries in his two-year career. Um, that's a worry that the team's draft tells you that they're they're ready to move on from him, right? They took Swift. Um, he was the second back selected overall, I think 35th overall in the draft. Um, I'm really excited about him. I thought he was I thought he was as good as anybody in his draft class. Like Taylor obviously landed in a great spot um, long term. Taylor is going to be fantastic behind a just a dominant offensive line. It's a great spot. Hilaire is in a video game offense. So like all three of them are in good situations. I just don't think it's crazy that we'll be drafting DeAndre Swift like in the middle of the second round, maybe maybe even the back end of the first round next year. Like I, I think his situation is absolutely ripe for um, huge fantasy potential. I think that's interesting. I mean, I think that I think also the stat that you were looking for, he converted 32 of 34 catchable targets in his second year at Georgia while he was admittedly working in tandem with Elijah Holyfield. But I think the reason he is dropping is number one, the carry on Johnson truthers are still very loud, right? It doesn't matter how accurate you are sometimes, especially on Twitter. It matters how loud you are. (laughs) And there's a little bit of a take lot going on around Johnson, despite, as you said, the, what the draft has clearly, um, alerted us to. I also think because he was comp to Delvin Cook specifically by so many scouts coming out of the draft, that rings as injury concern, durability concern, right? Like, so now fantasy managers are thinking like, well, is he very good insurance for another guy who's very good? Are either of these guys able to hold on to a 16-game season? And when you look at Jonathan Taylor, who, and I think you've said this, in fact, I think I'm quoting you, has won or continually wins the O-line lottery after oh, hell yeah. coming from Wisconsin to going to the Colts, right? 
Um, he and he's a workhorse. I, I think, in fact, the argument against him is like he didn't really catch balls until his last year. But also, um, the tread on the tires argument is concerning. But then Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, you're right, he's in the video game offense. Also, he's different than everything else. He's he's MJD 2.0, even with the hyphen. Like you, you, we haven't seen a player like him in a long time, so he gets that yeah. specialness, which is also part of the potential enigma of the dynasty that is building in Kansas City. I I also think a thing that is dragging DeAndre Swift down is the history of Lions running backs and the number of times we've been burned by them. Um, Javid Best, Amir Abdullah, Kevin Smith, Kevin Jones, like they've they've let us down a lot repeatedly for multiple decades. So we can add Kerryon Johnson to that as well. Um, I know people are still backing him, but you know the the lions perhaps are not they drafted a running back in the second round early in the second round they're not they're not that high on carry on johnson um yeah i i hear all that and i don't like i don't think swift has to be um a guy who gets 70 percent of the backfield touches 80 percent of the backfield touches in order to actually lead this rookie class in uh in fantasy points at the position i don't like i don't think any of these guys are going to get that i i think uh mm-hmm. i think Hines in indy is going to catch a ton of passes and play a bunch of snaps for the colts like uh, obviously damian williams as long as he's healthy is going to play a bunch of snaps for the chiefs that's okay in kansas city because you can survive as like a 14 15 touch guy in kansas city because they score like 35 points a game like it's fine you can you can be a low touch guy and, and still have a great fantasy season I, the other thing I'll say about Detroit is that they were they were sneaky good with Stafford last year and it all kind of fell apart at the end but Stafford through half a damn season was on pace for 5000 yards like that was going to be a good year they were a reasonably productive offense and and they have a little bit of continuity year to year they're just adding Swift to it and I think that I was going to make the same point about Daryl Bevel in his first year improving Matt Stafford, who was on pace for a record-breaking, career-breaking year, but also was on pace to be the QB 10 in fantasy. He was flirting yeah, with... Su- uh, suddenly you let the guy with like one of the biggest arms in NFL history throw the ball downfield again. What a, what, a, what a crazy notion. But he also, like the stat that I don't think most people looked at was that he was on pace for nearly 36 rushing attempts. Now, Matt Stafford is not known as a wildly mobile quarterback, but <laughs> Daryl Bevel, obviously having worked with Russell Wilson has an affinity for the skill set and understands how the how successful it is in the modern era NFL. And I think that therefore then helps the whole. I mean, we've talked at end about how a mobile quarterback can open up holes for the running backs in his backfield. Right. So now if you're seeing Matt Stafford do different things, then you're lifting the whole offense. And I don't think anyone's going to dispute that Kenny Galladay is a wide receiver one or that Marvin Jones, if he can stay healthy, is I mean, they are among the top five one two punches in terms of receiving tandems in the league, right? Oh, absolutely. And if, you know, Hawkinson gave us a flash at the at the start of last season of what he can be, and then he was hurt for basically the rest of the year and tried to play through some stuff. Um, but that's like that has the makings of a really good receiving core. And then I think Swift is just the biggest part of it. Um, not the biggest part of it, but but certainly the biggest part in the backfield uh, as a as a receiving weapon. I like I don't I don't see anybody else there. I mean, it's like Bo Scarborough after this, right? So, like, beyond Johnson and Swift, there's nobody that's going to fill any sort of theoretic role. Like, I, I think it's totally in play for Swift to catch 55, 60 balls if he stays healthy. So we're all in on the Lions, basically. NFC North for life. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much where I stand, yeah. 
Let's do a little bit of, I, I think this is important sometimes in context when people are drafting because we're talk about Swift in platitudes, but then not quantify or qualify what that means in relation to other players that get spoken about in platitudes. So in Fantasy Pros, half point PPR, Singletary, Devin Singletary, and Mostert are both ahead of him. Cam Akers, um, Darius Geis, and Kareem Hunt are behind him. Do you think that's about the right range? Or would you, I think you have him at RB20. So you're. No, I'm, I'm super low on Singletary. I don't, I, like, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm out on Singletary at mm-hmm. any price where he's near Swift. Um, I don't think he's going to be, um, y- you know, that obviously the issue with Singletary is just how I think they're going to use Moss. Um, mm-hmm. And and, uh, Singletary had no touches inside the 10 yard line last year. Like he's just not part of the goal to go offense for that team for whatever reason. Maybe that changes this year. Right. Like that's the other point. So they have a goal line back at quarterback and then they gave Frank Gore um, 18 carries inside the 10 last year. And I think Singletary had like three. Like I just can't I can't get there with Singletary. So I don't like if people want to rank Singletary outside the top 30, I'm fine with that. I don't have an argument with that. I don't think he's a like for me, he's not an RB2. I've got I've got I would put Swift a tier. I don't know, two tiers above Singletary. Like I don't I don't think of that as much of a competition. I have I have Swift higher than everybody that you just mentioned. I have him higher than most like. I can see the path with Mostert. Obviously, it's a Shanahan offense. Um, everything goes right. He stays healthy. He gets 65% of the touches, and all of a sudden, he's, a, he's an RB1. Like, I, I get it there. Like, that's obviously a high upside running back. I don't expect this trade request to lead to anything. I think that's all going to be fine. Um, Mostert would be the one guy that I would put in the conversation with Swift. I am, I am interested in Cam Akers, but I'm not willing to commit to Akers or Motor. Um, I was confused. Her- Henderson, Daryl Henderson. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, because both were selected. And, I mean, the team loves Malcolm Brown for what it's <laughs> the worth. The not- really likes Malcolm Brown, yeah. There was an offer sheet that he – I mean, he was supposed to go to the Lions, remember? <laughs> and and I believe that's right. Like, he was en route to the Lions. And then the Rams were like, nah, we're going to sign that. We're going to sign that yeah. offer sheet and not let him go. So that's a backfield that's a little bit too chopped up for me. I maintain that the reason Cam Akers continues to go high is not just because he is the newest and therefore a bright, shiny toy for people to be distracted by, but because he did such awesome work behind such a shoddy offensive line. Mm-hmm. You can comp the situations and assume he will do the same, except it's not a comparable situation because college is not pros, you know? Right, right. Um, yeah, and, and honestly, um, Swift's line was so good in college that it complicates the, um, you know, like... you and I are kind of in a similar place as, uh, film watchers, right? Like I'm not, I'm not a a sideline level assistant coach in the (laughs) NFL. So I'm not like, you know, whatever I've watched a lot of games, but I haven't watched it with that eye. Um, and it just gets, it gets tough watching like Georgia, Wisconsin, like the running backs are past the line of scrimmage without getting touched all the time. Like things, things happen at those schools and those programs with those lines that just don't happen in the NFL. And it is difficult to project until you get game film where they're playing a bunch of future pros, right? That's why like when these guys get those games against Alabama, Ohio state, where they get games against defenses that are just littered with future pros, um, it matters. And it, it always matters to me when a player like Swift just blows up against one of those teams. And that's what he did. That's what he did at the college level. So super impressive player to me. Let's switch gears a little bit. I talked about how we have been doing these fantasy football team previews. We did Baltimore, um, 
the Lions were all obviously one of them. Um, we also were on the same. We all rotate. The five of us rotate. But Andy and I were also on the um, group piece about the Cincinnati Bengals. And I'm seeing, whether it's in the Scott Fishbowl or some other mock, um, A.J. Green is one of those complicating players, complicated players to draft because everything that came before feels like he's a value, except there's no, he hasn't played, he hasn't been on a football field in, since <laughs> December of 2018. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's like 32 years old. Like the, the, I think he will be entering his age 32 season at the end of this month. He turns 32. So I have been doing this series of articles called Rust versus Rest in, and I've been using, you talked about how Dr. Horner and Dr. Edwards were on the podcast. I've been in contact with Dr. Alex Weber, who's an orthopedic surgeon and team physician at the University of Southern California. Um, and, you know, he said some really interesting things about Cam, which got me very excited. And I, it's been fascinating and I think you are feeling a similar thing having spoken to the doctors that you did to hear how the medical specifics can work, like to hear about the grade of the sprain or in Cam's case, Dr. Weber opened the interview by talking about um, how players who enter the combine with a Liss Frank injury, which is the foot injury that Cam sustained, are often that it that particular in, it, injury is a negative predictor, meaning that players that come to the combine with it um, often experience shortened careers and lower draft positions, and they really never regain form. Is hmm. is the black and white? There are exceptions, yes, but so then you think, oh my gosh, and that's among there's a. Achilles and um, a shoulder tear are like the other two. And then also cervical spine issues. There are like four major negative predictors. Those four among them. Cam's had two. So you're like, oh, wow. <laughs> but what he explained to me was that um, when the ligament is torn in that, that there's a ligament in the foot that keeps all of the little bones in the foot together. And when that is torn, the surgery requires all of those little bones to be realigned. And that's why it hurts is because those bones aren't in alignment. So they realign those bones. And then often when players rehab and go back to sport, those bones get jostled again. They fall out of alignment. And that is when the issue becomes recurrent. And that is what will usher someone out of the league. The interesting thing about Cam is that there has been no misalignment of the bones, huh. which is a really important fact because that, you know, you hear Liz Frank and people are like, well, how do some people recover it and some people don't? Well, the answer is like, if you have a widening or misalignment, that is what messes everything up. And you can't just keep going and cutting because then scar tissue issues happen and then your other muscles can potentially atrophy because you're not keep staying fully fit, et cetera. And so Cam has not experienced... Um, a misalignment of those, which is massive to know in his rehab. And that's why the doctor believes that in this particular case, because Cam suffered the injury in the preseason and didn't play, the rest will work in his favor because he's had enough time to um, rehab it and stay healthy and come back. So he's anticipating that Cam starts the season at 100% and has no issues in, unless, like, you know, he'll probably be concussed because... 
there are dirty hits thrown at Cam constantly. Although maybe yeah. in New England that'll change. Who knows? He's still huge, so probably not. Um, but it won't be because of the foot, and it won't be because of the shoulder. The shoulder has been cleaned up, and so I wanted to know about AJ Green. And that edition of Rust versus Rest is coming on Thursday, and I will say that the doctor certainly believes that in AJ Green's case, the rust will be a major contributing factor and should not be thought of as rest given his advanced age. So now I'm more out of, because before I was like, well, players can rehab. He's had all this time to come back, but like it's a little bit murkier because if we all remember, he hurt his ankle day one of training camp last July. So nearly a year ago, but he also hadn't played, had a low ankle sprain, not a high ankle sprain, and then had a clean out surgery probably some cartilage sheared off is the assumption a couple of days later and then has rehabbed it and rehabbed it, but never felt right. But the question is obviously, well, did he decide not to sacrifice his body in a kind of contract year for a team that was not going to go anywhere or did it really not feel right? Yeah. I think we have to take the player at his word there. Cause I, I don't know the exact uh, timing of it. I do remember that AJ came back to practice, right? Was it November? Was it December? And then tapped out again, um, which certainly wasn't a good sign. And it's also, you know, obviously this is a, a slightly different position. They're both explosive athletes, but AJ somebody who um, much more reliant on explosiveness and athletic ability necessarily than, than your typical NFL quarterback would be. So it is, a, I mean, it is a worry. And I think the fact that the Bengals also drafted an AJ Green replicant in mm-hmm. um, in T. T Higgins, Higgins is um, is maybe a sign as well. Uh, I think it's totally worth a shot for the Bengals to see what they've got with AJ Green on it on the tag for a, a season because he was one of the he's been one of the best receivers uh, of the modern era, right? Like he's never been necessarily that number one guy, but he's always like for years, he was a solid number three or four, um, in the entire league. So I like, I think this is totally worth it. I think Higgins is good. I think Higgins is really, really good. I was surprised that he was a second round receiver. Um, same size as green, some of the same, you know, some of the same scouting flaws coming into the draft process. Um, but just an incredible playmaker, incredible hands, um, a catch radius guy, right? Like he just, he was a fun watch. He was a really, really fun watch. And I expect him to be really good really early. Um, so like in terms of Joe Burrow's development, I, I don't think it's a huge issue because I think T Higgins is right there. Like next year, I think T Higgins can be really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, but I, yeah, I think that was maybe a little bit of a, of a signal flare, a little bit of a warning flare that, um, maybe they are not entirely confident in AJ green as well. Yeah. Um, I think that is where I am leaning also where he's being drafted. You don't need him to be a top 15, top 20 producer, really. Like you can take him and see what he gives you. I mean, there's always the question of he has been the best jump ball specialist in the league. So like it, and I do think that it, I don't agree with you that T Higgins is going to flash early. I think at some point he will have some multi touchdown games, but I foresee more of, um, well, I don't remember when Preston Williams flash like I remember I guess he did flash early because then he got hurt and that's when Gesicki came on yeah I'm not sure it happens as early in the season as we're anticipating for what it's worth and this is a spoiler alert the doctor I always ask the doctor he won't always answer this one but he felt comfortable enough when it came to AJ Green saying that um 
he felt like A.J. Green would play no more than 10 games this season. Ouch. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's obviously, that's a tough one to, that's a tough one for anybody to pin down regardless of their, <laughs> regardless of their credentials. Right. <laughs> that right. like that, the one thing that gives me hope about AJ Green is that he's never not been good. Like, but you know, his last season, 2018, he still averaged almost 80 receiving yards per game. Right. And was on pace for a 1200 yard season, which is just what he did forever prior to that. So like AJ Green has never not been a good player when on the field. I, I think you have to like, I've drafted him several times because Pete, like there are a lot of draft rooms where everybody's just sort of either out on him or they've got him ranked as if he's like some low end wide receiver three wide receiver four type that they just won't touch. Um, I feel like your upside with AJ Green is still a 1200 yard season. Like he's been that guy. He could be that guy again on a per game basis. He's been that guy even in some of these injury prone seasons. So if that comes back, great. And at the at the point in a draft where you're really seriously con- considering AJ Green, you know, uh, DJ Chark is gone. McLaurin is gone. Like all these, all these guys that I think of as, you know, potential breakout wide receiver ones are probably gone. Um, and, and then AJ Green for me um, jumps off the page. I'm trying to find where we have him ranked. So you are, you have him at 16. Yeah. I've got to have him in the teens for sure. I have him yeah. at 18. The rest of our crew has him at 38, 31 and 40. So. Yeah, I mean, they're the they're obviously on betting on the 10 game season or the eight game right. season or something like that for AJ Green, which is totally in play. Like he missed the entire year last year with an injury that we think he's over, um, but we haven't seen him. Um, it's a, like it's it's valid. I get it. Um, I'm I'm ranking him as if I'm going to get a solid 13 games out of him. Interesting. I, I like that you mentioned Terry McLaurin because I'm finding in drafts that that's about where he's going. But I, I think I would probably draft McLaurin ahead of AJ Green, which is not in line with my rankings, which means you're welcome, Jason Klobaka. I have some tweaking to do. <laughs> Let's close things out with a little dissenting opinions. Um, and these in particular, jumped out. So let's talk about him. We already talked about Dalvin Cook, but um, no, we haven't. We talked about DeAndre Swift. See, I made the mistake myself. So um, Dalvin Cook, you have him at RB5. I have him at RB9. He's going to be the fifth pick in drafts or even the fourth. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like I'm just kind of chalky on Dalvin Cook. Like that's not a... That's not an outrageous rank, right? Like five is just kind of where the industry is on Dalvin Cook. I feel like he's a first half of the first round sort of player um the i can see an argument for i don't have kamara over him i can certainly see an argument for kamara over him but that's about it as i look at the running back ranks like i can personally feel pretty good about josh jacobs and guys like drake and sanders but i wouldn't rank them over dalvin cook oh i have 14 games higher for sure i love josh and i like i will say i have josh jacobs in the fs uh in the fsga draft i took him in the fishbowl like i think josh jacobs is going to be a thing i think i think he's very likely to be a first round pick a consensus first round pick next year um i i can i can kind of wish cast a little bit and hope that he'll be better than dalvin cook which is totally in play um I, th- I think he's that good. I think he's certainly that caliber of running back. He was obviously, he was a, anybody who spent any time on any analytics website knows that he was just a missed tackle machine last mm-hmm. year. Jacobs was great. Um, if he can just, like, if they just throw to him 60 times, it's fine. Like, he doesn't need to be a 90-catch guy. If he can just be, like, a 45-catch guy, a 50-catch guy, great. Um, I like Jacobs a lot. But, I mean... Dalvin Cook is in a ripe situation. He was he was kind of a fringe, like, on your MVP ballot guy last year before he got hurt. 
Um, and again, I feel like I'm kind of chalky on him. So who else do you have above Dalvin Cook? So, well, first, the reason I have Jacobs higher is the reason I have Cook lower, which is when I look at rugs being added to the Raiders offense and, you know, not for nothing, rugs and Jacobs were teammates. So I just like that. Um, there's a free, a field stretching element that I like much more. And without yeah. DeAndre Washington, that's 40 some odd targets that have been freed up. So, you know, I know they've added other pass catchers, but um, out of the backfield, there's one more body missing. Um, and I expect the other guy to be used more as a fullback. So I'm not particularly worried about that. But I think that with the field being stretched, you're going to see fewer stacked boxes for Jacobs. And I think when you have when you don't have Stefan Diggs as capable of a of a receiver as uh, Justin Jefferson may be with his I think has he has Keenan Allen potential this is his first year there is an abbreviated offseason Stefan Diggs added such a, a vertical element to that offense that I don't know that we're not going to see Delvin Cook see more than 25 23% of his fronts be stacked and so that is kind of what I am factoring in for Cook and the durability issues like Jacobs did all of that he did which you just mentioned with a fractured shoulder from week seven out and this is one of those areas where I can't go wrong because like if if you're right on Jacobs like it's going to pay off for me in a huge way because I like (laughs) him I just don't have him there in my in my ranks um so I'm kind of I'm kind of rooting for you to be right about this one you also have to like if you, if you take Cook, you you really seriously got to think about Alexander Madison, who could be mm. 95% of Dalvin Cook. And now now I've got a situation where I got to draft the understudy as well. And there's there's nobody behind Jacobs that I want the way I want Jacobs, right? Like you're kind of liberated in that respect. You can just veer off to another team. You don't you don't necessarily right. need to draft the guy who's behind him on the depth chart. Um, to answer, I do have Kamara ahead of him. I have Derek Henry ahead of him. I have Nick Chubb ahead of him. And I have Joe Mixon ahead of him. One thing I've realized, and I, I, we don't, we don't have him on the script to talk about, but like Nick Chubb is more polarizing than I had mm. realized. Like the draft chat that breaks out when somebody takes Nick Chubb um, at the back half of like the first round in uh, uh, industry drafts is kind of, like people hate him. I didn't, I didn't even know there were people who hated him because I, I think he's as efficient and as as productive a runner like i get it that kareem hunt's there and kareem hunt is going to catch a bunch of passes i don't think they hate nick chubb i think that they are holding on to hope from maybe they had you know kareem hunt in dynasty a couple years ago yeah i i think that's i think that's probably it as well obviously hunt is going to catch a bunch of passes um i I think like the entire cleveland offense tailed off in the in the second half last year and that was not it's not like it's not like chubb became less likely to score touchdowns when kareem hunt was in the mix i don't know i think chubb's a brilliant runner um he's clearly not in line to catch 60 balls so in half ppr ranks and ppr ranks i have to be down on him but that, that guy's a great player you mentioned his efficiency, and that's um, why I have him. I just think he's a really higher – I think he's a higher floor pick than Delvin Cook. And so I have him ranked ahead because in such a volatile position group, I want the guy that's going to give me 16 games over the one who probably might give me 12. Yeah, yeah. No, you it's know? fair. It's totally fair. Uh, uh, Cook is the one guy in that sort of consensus top five, top six who – um, we, we just haven't seen like a fully complete healthy season from. Let's talk about DJ Chark versus Keenan Allen, 
who you mentioned, Chark, um, I have through all of these, you know, it's, it's interesting because I feel like we talk a lot about like, oh, in doing these mocks, it's a great experiment. You can find out how you actually are ranking these players. And sometimes it feels a little bit like a script, like we're just telling people that. But in fact, Keenan Allen has been a player in numerous drafts. And I talked about this the last time I was on with Matt. Um, that I was, I, I am seeing go very late, and it forced me to dig into Keenan Allen's numbers and say, like, why am I so, like, am I really that invested in him having not played without Philip Rivers that I'm afraid he can't drag another quarterback into production? Like, let's look at these numbers, and I am not anticipating, you know, a fourth consecutive thousand plus yard season out of Keenan Allen, but I also learn this from you, Mr. Barons, to bet on talent <laughs> more times than not. It's fair. Um, I like, I think if we were just ranking uh, NFL wide receivers without team context, if we were just having a draft from scratch and like redrafting the entire league, I think Keenan Allen is probably a top 12 guy. Maybe he's a, a fringy top 10 guy. Like I don't have him ranked in accordance with his talent necessary, necessarily. Um, I, I think, I think Chark is great. And if not for, the ankle injury, um, I, I, I want to say it was like four games to go last year, three games to go, something like that. And he may, he maybe even made the mistake of playing through it um, because it, it messed with his per game numbers a little bit. But mm. that, that guy was going to be a wide receiver one or really, really close to it. Super explosive. He like and like announced his uh, announced his arrival on that on that crazy play where Nick Foles broke his collarbone. Right. And uh, and Shark, uh, just a, a brilliant touchdown. Wonderful play. And he was just great all year. He was, I like I'm kind of a believer in Minshew. And I like that that offense has gotten away from uh, believing that Leonard Fournette needed to get 400 touches or whatever. Right. Like it's right. going to it's going to be a much more interesting offense. Chark, I, I think people know, came into the league at at his size. He's I think he's six four, like two hundred. At his size, to run a four three is pretty crazy. Um, so it, elite speed by NFL standards, elite athleticism by NFL standards, and it all translated onto the field last year. There's nobody nobody really threatening him for the the sort of uh, uh, you know top of the pyramid in that in that receiving core. I I just love Chark. That's just sort of a if everything goes right. DJ Chark's a top five fantasy receiver for me. And I, I doubt that's out there for Keenan Allen. I think that's totally fair. I mean, though, though that makes the most sense. The biggest leap for me is believing that Jacksonville can put together an offense that propels <laughs> a receiver into the top five. But as you were talking, you know, I'm like, I have all of my talking points and my, my cons to your pros. And I'm thinking, well, you know, the point that Andy hasn't said that works in his favor is that with the turnover, in that defense, this offense is likely, we talked about this yeah. kind of quarterback at the top of the show, to pass a lot more. And that would not only improve, I mean, that at least, you know, Scott likes to talk a lot about like your narrow volume trees, right? Like your narrow routes of volume. And that works in Chark's favor because, you know, as as much as I love me some Chris Conley, it's, it's I don't think it's going to happen, you know, and <laughs> I do think there's a weird situation available for Tyler Eifert, who stayed healthy last year in yeah. the worst possible season for him to stay flipping healthy. But, you know, that it, there's an opportunity there. So maybe I need to move him up. He's my wide receiver 27. I just don't know if I want to own. I just don't know if I want to um be attached to this offense given all of the question marks and 
you know, it's hard to imagine a ceiling versus a basement in Jacksonville. Yeah, it's like that's one of those things where like Chark for me gets in in my head. I I sort of rope him into a discussion with Terry McLaurin, too, who Mm. I don't I I have Mm. no idea who the number two receiver is for Washington. Right. Like, I just have no idea who who is going to be second on that team in receptions or receiving yards or whatever. But I sure know that Terry McLaurin, if healthy, is going to be number one and he's probably going to double up anybody else's targets. Um, The targets are going to be there for both of those guys. I'm not really a full believer in either offense. I'm particularly not a a huge believer in Washington's offense, but I don't know that it's going to matter for McLaurin if he gets 150 targets. And I kind of feel like that's what we have to think about. We have to think about what is a McLaurin season like, not at however many targets he had last year, but at 150 and and Chark the same way. Like Chark is probably going to come in in a healthy season at like 140, 150. And like, my God, like both of those guys could be top five players, no matter how bad the offense is. And your point is not, I mean, if we are drafting Allen Robinson, who we're anticipating 130, 140, 150 target, he's like the wide receiver nine or 10 for all of us. So if he's a top 10 option with a much more stout defense that should be leaned upon, that is the centerpiece of their entire operation. And we're looking at Nick Foles likely, then the argument for Chark who was, as you mentioned, unleashed by Foles becomes much more optimistic. So I think, I think, I think you broke some ground here. Congratulations. <laughs> it's good to hear, but I don't, like, I don't, I don't mean to do it at the, at the expense of uh, Keenan Allen, who's just a, who's just a great player in, in an offense that's in transition. Well, I mean, you have them shark at 17 and, and um, Keenan Allen at 21. So there's yeah, not, they're not far apart you know, far apart. I have them, my discrepancy between the two is much larger. I think I need to be higher on shark on shark, um, versus not, I think where I have Allen is perfectly acceptable, but I think the argument is that shark needs to be believed more because as you've laid out, like the opportunity and the volume should be there and volume is always King or queen in fantasy. I have realized as we've talked that I need to get McLaurin and Shark uh, uh, closer, much closer in line, uh, not only with each other, but also with A.J. Green. I'm like, as a practical matter, I'm probably drafting both of these guys over A.J. Green. Okay, as a practical matter. Well, I'm glad that we were (laughs) able to walk through that. I feel like I just, you know, I have not been to therapy in a minute. I got to be honest, but this was the closest thing. This is the closest thing to that. I am definitely not going to Zoom with Helen, by the way, for what she charges during these COVID (laughs) times. Sorry, Helen, but... I'm a relative bargain, yeah. (laughs) All right, on that note... Thanks for listening. We'll be back on Thursday. Go ahead and subscribe to the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Therese Paler and Charles Robinson. And just a heads up that you can sign up for fantasy football on Yahoo. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we have standard leagues. We've got best ball. We have got it all. Follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF. And that is at Andy Barons. And we are out. <laughs>